Friends, colleagues, and elite gamers, welcome to another episode of Brain Buzz Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are joined by PhD candidate in clinical psychology, associate with the Center for Gambling Research, and most importantly, friend of and returning guest on the show, Gabriel Brooks. Gabe, welcome back. Thank you. I'm glad to be here again. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Gabe, you're the first episode that was not about me and Kyle's work. So you and uh, Mario Ferrari came on and talked about your work in gambling. I think that was episode number three, Mario and Gabriel yeah. talk gambling. You got it. Yeah, you know better <laughs> than us. Yeah, see, that was a big moment for us. So we got really, like, that was a really pivotal moment. If we didn't do that episode, we probably wouldn't be existing right now. <laughs> We helped you kick it off. Although I, I seem to recall more alcohol being involved in the early days. <laughs> yeah, a lot less sadness, a lot less social distancing four years ago, three years ago. <laughs> um, but today, Gabe, we, I mean, we knew that your work was changing around that time. Uh, and now, you know, now it's developed into a whole, you know, a whole research line of research. So let's talk about what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about loot boxes, right? That is correct. We'll talk about loot boxes. If you want, we can generally talk about other forms of gambling-like behavior in games as well, which do exist. But primarily, yeah, I focused on loot boxes this last year and a half or so. Right on. Yeah. And so what is a loot box for our non-leak gamers out there? It's, um, you know, you think of it generally as a virtual item present in a lot of video games that you probably are paying a bit of money for. Sometimes you can earn them through gameplay, but it's quicker to buy them you know, using your credit card or, you know, in-game points that you probably used your credit card to purchase, you open it and it gives you a random reward. That reward is probably going to vary in desirability. There'll be a couple really cool items that a lot of people want, and those might be, you know, a 1% or a 5% chance you'll get them. And then there'll be a bunch of other items that, you know, might have some use or, you know, some aesthetic to them, but are generally less desirable. And those would be the ones you get most often. Right. And so for people that don't play video games, I mean, Kyle and I have played a share, our share of video games. Gabe, we've played games with you. I've dabbled uh, a bit. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, why would someone want to spend more money on a video game after purchasing the game itself? That's a good question. It, it's one that, you know, if we were to frame this in the study we did conduct, we don't necessarily answer ourselves, but you know, maybe we'll hope to with the next project as well. But we can just hypothesize of a few different reasons. One, it depends what you can get in, say, a loot box. If you can get only aesthetic kind of cosmetic items that don't imbue a power or ability in the game, maybe it's to stand out a little bit more in multiplayer games, to make their character a little bit more unique, look a little bit cooler. If there are, you know, power-ups that come out of these loot boxes, which some games do offer, Maybe it's to, you know, kind of buy an advantage rather than take time to earn it. So, you know, there are clearly compelling reasons to do this because people spend a lot of money on, you know, at gamers as a whole on these systems. And so who are the people that are spending the money on loot boxes here? I haven't spent, <laughs> I'm, I'm cheap, so this doesn't, doesn't matter like count, but like I will never spend money on loot boxes, but who are the individuals that are more likely to be buying these loot boxes and spending this money? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you can, what traits they have, you know, if you're to look at the research we were doing, it so happens and maybe we'll engage with this a bit later, but it associates with uh, individuals who might also endorse some gambling related traits for those who buy the most. But if you are asking about 
you know, just generally who does, there's sort of that 80-20 rule where, you know, with loot boxes or microtransactions more broadly within video games, you'll have a small portion of, you know, any game's population who end up engaging the most and making it the bulk of uh, expenditure, if you will. So, Gabe, uh, you mentioned uh, microtransactions. Can you elaborate on that point a little bit? Like, what is a microtransaction? Yeah, so loot boxes are one form of microtransaction. And in the upcoming study we were kind of putting together, we're kind of calling those, you know, the loot box model, which is that randomly generated reward that you don't quite know what you're getting. But more broadly, there's also what we're kind of calling direct purchase microtransactions. So there might be items in a game that, you know, you know exactly what you're going to get and you spend $10 to get that look for your gun or character. And you, you're spending $10 max because you get what you want. Whereas in a loot box model, maybe you end up spending or buying a couple dozen loot boxes, you know, 10, 20, 30, $40 to try and get an item that's rare. Can you give us an example using like a, a real world concrete example? Are there particularly egregious examples of this that you reference in your paper, for example? I don't want to frame anything as like an egregious example, but if we talk <laughs> about what you can do with loot boxes, there are some games, uh, Counter-Strike Global Offensive being a, quite a popular one, also Player Unknown's Battlegrounds being another extremely popular one, where you do have these loot box mechanics. So you can spend your like probably $2, $2.50, uh, I, I think in those cases, you're actually buying a key to unlock the loot box, which is basically the same thing. And that will give you your random item. Now, what those games allow, I think through the Steam Marketplace, which is uh, an area people can sell virtual items, you can actually then sell the virtual item you get from that loot box. So it's possible that people might approach some of these systems within games that allow you to sell it as a way to almost make a wager. I'm going to buy this loot box, hope I get a rare item, and then I'll sell that for $1,000. Of course, if that's the approach someone is taking, in most cases, they're probably going to get an item that's worth a few cents and not you know, some <laughs> coveted $2,000 uh, AK-47. Right. <laughs> and we talked about, too, before the before we went on, Gabe, like we we're looking at uh, what we call Steam charts. So just like the most popular games on this platform. Mm -hmm for computer games and it, it looked like more than half of the games that are in the top 10 implement in some way either at least microtransactions or specifically loot boxes yeah so I, I think if you look at the way gaming has been going the incorporation of microtransactions generally is so so common now it is you know i'm sure not in every game but like many many of the triple a games you know the most popular ones that are now released you will have some form of microtransaction uh, maybe some folks are feeling that they'd rather stick to that direct purchase model just in case regulation impairs loot boxes down the road. But as you were speaking, looking at that uh, top 10 on the Steam charts, a lot of those games have been around for a couple of years and a lot of those games, you know, probably 50, 60% of them have that, you know, classic loot box mechanism in it. Are players using loot boxes, like, is there an in-game advantage to purchasing a loot box or is it strictly cosmetic? Because I think to this point, we've talked primarily about cosmetics. Yeah, is it, that it, right? It definitely depends on the game. So there'll be, if you look at gaming broadly, there is sort of a group of gamers who don't like the idea of being able to buy upgrades to make yourself better in a video game. It seems kind of, you know, I, I suppose unfair for people who can afford you know to buy these upgrades perhaps so to combat that it seems there's a pool of games that stick to cosmetic only items 
but there are other games out there. Um, I might have trouble naming a few of them off the top of my head. That I have, do I have offer. a couple I can think of. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, card games, like electronic card games, right? There you go, perfect. Those are exactly like, you know, trying it's exactly like if you were to go to the corner store when you're younger and buy a pack of cards you don't know what's going to be in those packs but uh they've done they basically translated that to electronic card games now, yeah right? and if you think about those card packs in our lab we've often kind of commented that you know your pokemon booster pack is sort of like a modern or a classic loot box because yeah. you'll get 10 cards you don't know what they're going to be and you hope you get the charizard yeah, <laughs> the coveted Charizard that every schoolyard someone <laughs> elementary every school kid schoolyard. wanted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's I think that's really interesting. But so I think there's I think there's two kind of perspectives here. You know, loot boxes are the randomness of the loot boxes is linked, and and what your work is looking at is linked to gambling behavior or like gambling type behavior, right? So what did you study, and how did you? test whether or not you know people are more likely to use or to spend money on loot boxes based yeah. on so that that's sort of the question and definitely was the question and sort of popular concern if we go back to like 2017 2018 are loot boxes gambling are people engaging in them as a gambling behavior but there wasn't much research out there um, to really concretely state one way or another now that's still emerging but what we did to test that is, is think well if loot boxes are like gambling then we might expect people who are predisposed or who engage in risky gambling behaviors might also be more likely to use loot boxes to an excessive or risky extent. Uh, so that would be the kind of behavioral component. And then we took a step further of, well, maybe they also engage with loot boxes on a psychological level, kind of cognitively in a way similar that you might see gamblers engage with gambling. Uh, so yeah, if you want, I could run through a couple of um, the findings. We have some pretty cool descriptive findings from that study as well that speak to just what gamers viewed loot boxes as. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I feel like there must be a difference between how there must be different groups of people interacting with these different, right? you know, in different ways, right? So there's people that are like, oh, I just really want my guy or my, you know, my character to look really cool. And then there's <laughs> others that are like, I, I need to get these things. I need to get all these things. And then you might have another group party that's like, uh, I want to make money off of this because I can, I can yeah. sell things. So uh, descriptively, we include some questions just to kind of see how it would shake out. And probably the two most clear sort of descriptive statistics we had, uh, we asked people, do you feel buying a loot box is like making a bet? So do they kind of equate it to gambling? And I believe it was like 75%, three quarters of our participants in both samples felt that loot boxes were akin to actually making a bet. So you're kind of seeing gamers approach these as if they are gambling in that sense, at least three quarters. We then asked, you know, again, uh, more bluntly, if you will, are loot boxes or do you believe loot boxes are a form of gambling? And we got, again, like 60 to 80 percent across our sample buying in saying loot boxes are a form of gambling. So just from a, you know, assessment, sort of, you know, what gamers think of this system, it seems that they believe this is a system that is gambling like at, at least mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and is it just is it just spending the money like so it, when you're asking this i i know that certain games will give you you know that little like uh the little booster pack the little freebies uh just to get your, your appetite wet right yeah is this specifically you know asking them if you're spending money on it it's like putting a bet down yeah so we we had i think it was about four or five questions that sort of drilled down on that one question was, are you familiar with loot boxes? 
and it was like 95% or, you know, some mm -hmm. almost, you know, 100% were familiar with it. If you were familiar with a loot box, chances are you had also opened one. It was nearly the same percentage. And I think that gets to some of those freebies where, you know, you earn one every week through grinding it out in the game. Right. A lesser percentage, but still a majority had, you know, bought a loot box. And then I think, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but about 30%, somewhere around there, a minority, but a significant number still had actually then engaged in those marketplaces and sold an item back. Okay. So we kind of, mm. you know, we kind of saw that shrinking cone of engagement from, are you familiar all the way to, I've engaged with it, bought them and sold it. Right. Yeah. So even like, you know, you know, a quarter, say a quarter of the people that are engaging in this mm -hmm. are interacting in some sort of marketplace to buy or sell these, yeah. uh, these items. So, you know, if you, if you kind of look at those stats, we see that our participants felt generally that these were kind of a gambling like behavior, but that doesn't, you know, I, you can't necessarily equate that with it actually being a gambling like behavior. And so this goes to an earlier question you had of what did we do? What behavioral measures did we have to kind of assess this? Mm -hmm. And we provided participants uh, with a very common kind of gold standard measure of problem gambling, the problem gambling severity index. It's like a nine question item that uh, runs from zero to 27. And if people are scoring really above, uh, you know, five plus, that's probably indicative of like moderate risk problem gambling. We found that that scale correlated moderately with uh, individuals' expenditure, how much they were spending on loot boxes. So if they were someone who was spending, you know, $20, $50, $100 a month, they were also more likely to score high on that problem gambling severity index. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's problem. Like that's where I was about to kind of go to is like, when is it, when does it become a problem? Yeah. And there, there's been a number of other researchers, um, Zendel and colleagues being one who's done a lot of work looking at loot box expenditure and the PGSI and sort of, you know, also demonstrating that finding, which is quite robust. I would say uh, that one caveat of loot box expenditure, unless you're taking into account participants' socioeconomic status, you might have someone who can spend a hundred, a thousand dollars weekly and be fine with that if they can afford it. Right. So we did also include a number of questions that assessed, you know, what we were calling loot box risk. Are they engaging with loot boxes in a way that is risky? And, uh, you know, these might be, do you feel excitement when you buy them? Do you feel compelled to open more after you've opened one? Do you buy more if you don't get the item you want? Kind of a loss chasing, classic gambling behavior. So we condensed that into this five question brief scale of risky loot box use. And again, that associated uh, quite well with people's um, you know, gambling behavior as well. So that PGSI associated with risky loot box use, not just how much they were spending. Hmm. Now, here's a question that I think might put this into perspective for, for some, um, is, is, is gambling like loot box gambling, the same as gambling in a casino, does the house always win or is that adage not necessarily hold true in the online sort of loot box world? I, I think that's where it gets a little bit murky because it depends perhaps, and I, I think this is why I like to frame it as loot boxes appear to be gambling-like rather than definitively saying loot boxes are gambling. In a casino, you are going 
to wager money in the hopes of winning more money. So if you were to look at the analogy toward loot boxes, you know, if, if you wanted the most strict interpretation of when loot boxes are gambling, you probably have to say that is when people are buying loot boxes with the intention to receive a valuable item to then sell for more money than they got. Admittedly, yeah. that is not going to be the vast majority of people who engage with loot boxes. So, you know, you, you could say the house or the publishers always win in that they are, you know, always getting money from the player and they aren't really returning that money themselves. So they're always making money off the system whenever someone buys it. But the player is typically always getting something as well. So, you know, now is yeah. it that the player is repeatedly buying loot boxes to get a particular item that has a one in a thousand probability and they'll probably never get? In that case, you might consider that individual, you know, developing problematic use of the feature and not coming out with what they want, not winning. Right. I guess the difference is, is that here, you're, you know, in, in the digital realm, the publisher is just producing content, basically, that costs them, apart from paying the people who actually create it, next to nothing. And so if they're making money off of it without actually spending any money, then mm -hmm. they kind of win anyways, which I think is an interesting point. It's not designed to be a traditional gambling system in that the publisher is going to pay out, you know, a monetary value to the people who use it. But nevertheless, it has this system of sort of a random ratio return to the participant of desirable items. And I'm sure if you were to, you know, I think we'll be doing this in our next study, but if you were to poll loot box users about which items they most want in a loot box is going to be those ones that are the least common. Very mm -hmm. few people are probably going to say they want the one that appears 20% of the time. They want the one that appears one in 10,000 or one in a thousand times. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see, um, do you see a relationship between people who are using loot boxes and then going on to develop problem gambling type behaviors, or is that directionality not yet established? That's a really good question. And the directionality to that is, you know, as far as our paper went and as far as the papers, uh, that are currently published that I'm familiar with has not been established yet. Most of the research on loot boxes and like these mechanisms have been cross-sectional. So, you know, our takeaway, um, was, you know, you could have a bunch of third variables that might account for this, like impulsivity, although we did include that and it didn't account for it. So the two main ones would be, do you have people who are engaging in loot boxes to a risky extent? And does that make them more vulnerable to problematic gambling later on? That's an open question. The inverse of that is, do you have a bunch of people who have problems with gambling excessively engaging in the system because it's so similar to a gambling reward system? That, you know, in my point of view, both of those kind of main hypotheses are problematic and suggest that, you know, maybe some regulation, some work needs to be done with how the system works. Yeah, you, you mentioned regulation. And I, I want to ask, first of all, is there regulation? Does anybody out there have any regulations in place? And, and then I guess second to that, um, why would we need to regulate this? Like, who are the people that are engaging in this behavior? And is there a vulnerable population group that we wouldn't want to be participating in these gambling like behaviors? Mm -hmm. So 
uh, you know, let's answer that in two ways. One, based off of that cross-sectional data that we can't make hard interpretations on. Nevertheless, we do see that some people are engaging with this to an extreme amount. And then those people are also endorsing, you know, say our risky loot box index, suggesting that it's a problematic, probably financially harming behavior. So in that sense, you certainly do have a subgroup of people who are probably engaging in this system to an extent that is harming them. Uh, another way we can look at this as well is thinking about youth, right? You will see anecdotal cases, and it's harder to do the research within youth populations we have in ourselves, but you'll see the anecdotal case of uh, you know, a young teen using their parents' credit card and racking up several thousand mm -hmm. dollars uh, within a game. So the fact that that's possible suggests perhaps some form of regulation might be warranted. The fact that maybe gamblers who are prone to engaging in the system could you know, effectively financially self-harm themselves through it might be supportive of regulation. Or that alternative where people then go on to engage in gambling, that would also, of course, suggest you might need some regulation. Right. The idea being kind of like, where the gaming industry is grooming children to become problem gamblers. That that is exactly sort of the you know one hard interpretation that certainly needs a lot more research to back it up. But that would be kind of a worst case scenario, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I feel like in the um, digital like in the digital world that we live in now, it's so much easier to spend copious amounts of money and not really know the impact as a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas you'd have to ask your parents for money to buy, like like we said, like those Pokemon cards at the grocery store. Exactly. Or at the corner store, right? But now you save your parents' credit card on, you know, your PlayStation. And then maybe the kid doesn't know what they're doing and they end up spending a bunch of money, uh, you know, just getting items that they think they want. Yeah. Uh, and, so they, and they don't really have that. They don't value, may, may not know how to value money. Exactly. In a sense too. And so like, oh, I like this. I like my character looking cool. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to click this button a couple of times and spend $100. And so certainly regulation is one way you could uh, shift some of the, you know, protection toward the publishers, but they're, you know, modern world we're living in much similar to as we now try to do with social media. There's probably a role and some education that can be provided to parents. So they know that these systems exist and they know that, you know, if their child plays video games, plays modern video games, they'll probably be exposed to this. So when the kid comes, Hey mom, can I buy this thing, you know, in Call of Duty on PlayStation? They have that awareness that they are giving their credit card number it might be saved and then their kid might be able to buy more. So having maybe parental controls within games to limit spending uh, would be useful. Now, yeah. there, there was the question you had earlier about whether regulation is, you know, does exist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least as of, you know, some months ago, there's continued talk in North America that, maybe there should be regulation in some form. There's been uh, actual implementation of some regulations in other countries. I think the Belgium and the Netherlands come to mind as places where at least in 2019, that sort of design of loot boxes that we were talking about where you can cash out items should be prohibited. So some regions have taken protective measures or even placed loot boxes as a system that falls under their sort of gambling jurisdiction and requires that form of regulation. So it's been slow to roll out across the world, but I think we are seeing it. Some other, I think, really sensible solutions would be to ensure all games show the probability of getting every item. If someone knows it's a one in a thousand chance, 
rather than maybe just thinking, oh, I'll have like a one in 20 chance, they might spend less money. Or including things within the game, speaking to parental controls, but also self-controls of, I can set a limit on how much I can spend a week per in this game, something like that. I think those right. would be ways to, you know, you're not destroying and disrupting that system fully, but you are starting to regulate its use and protecting people from overspending on it. Yeah. One, two, two follow-up questions to that point, uh, Gabe. One is, would a government be able to levy taxes on the money spent or money earned by the publisher if the money is coming from their population, just as they would uh, if you know you went and bought a lottery ticket? So that's one question. And then secondly, um, one of the major problems that's been ongoing in, in BC for years now has been uh, the revelation that casinos have been used in nefarious ways to launder money. Is that also a concern in this digital world uh, using loot boxes? Yeah, that's uh, those are some pretty good questions and I'm not sure I can- Thank you. Yeah, fully answer those. <laughs> uh, so good that I don't want to answer them. Fair enough. At how like, money laundering has occurred in casinos, you kind of know that if you place it that you can you know, get some portion of that money back. That's not necessarily the case for a lot of loot box items. So are people doing it? I have no idea. You know, is, would it be feasible to buy loot box items with ill-gotten money and then sell those virtual items as a way to launder it? Probably, but it would be very inefficient. And I'm sure there are better ways to launder money. <laughs> All right. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just pro tip to you if, uh, you know, you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> With uh, Gabe, with this and with the future of gaming, I guess is is kind of what I'm thinking of. Uh, games have changed as have you know so many things over the course of the last few decades. Do we think that this is going to be a commonplace thing going forward? Because it really has shaped a lot of the way that games are set up. Uh, it used to be that you buy a game and and you got what you paid for. Now it seems like you buy something that's a product and then it continues to be rolled out as more options for you mm -hmm. to spend on every day. Uh, do you think that that's a trajectory that we're going to just, it's the reality of the world is that games are going to continue to do this because it's making them lots of money? I mean, on average, I think that's the very clear trajectory that's going, whether that remains in the realm of loot boxes or if that's more of that direct purchase microtransaction uh, way. I, I think microtransactions are going to remain in games. And I, you know, I, don't think there's anything inherently wrong with microtransactions and being games generally, as long as there's responsible policing of it. Uh, but I think what you mentioned is something um, that I can tie back to some of our results as well, which speaks to gaming in general, the trajectory of it over like the last 10 years, 15 years, and what that means for risky video game use. So, you know, the, uh, I believe it's the who has classified like internet gaming disorder and gaming disorder being a thing. And then within the DSM five, you have that emerging as another disorder. It's fairly clear that people can engage in video games in a way that becomes detrimental to their well-being, much like gambling. But what is interesting is the current classifications for problematic video game use are kind of from, you know, let's say 10 years ago, they don't really include financial harms. It's more about time spent and prioritization of video games over you know, other social relationships or overwork, things that could harm, harm you that way. So we probably want to consider financial harms as part of the overall uh, 
harm picture of video games in the modern era as we're moving forward with microtransactions. And this was sort of displayed in our results because, you know, we included a measure of problem gaming. We also included our problem gambling severity index, and we included a, a measure of gambling related cognitive distortion. So kind of beliefs people have that um, are associated with more or less risky gambling behavior. Those gambling measures were better predictors of like risky loot box use than a measure of problem gaming. So clearly that is missing something. And that's probably that financial harm at the moment. I want to go back to, to what was mentioned earlier. Drake said this about, you know, is, is the gaming industry grooming children to become problem gamblers? This to me seems like the, the population group that, that a lot of people are worried about, right? Is, mm-hmm. is, you know, are children being exposed to gambling at an age in which they can't comprehend it? But everything that you've said to this point speaks to the fact that these problematic gambling behaviors are occurring in, you know, fully, <laughs> fully cognitively functional older population groups. Um, do is is that the case, or or you know, like wh- what does a parent have to do here? What 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 is the concern as a parent if if you know if your kid is is getting into video games? From our results, the other results that are out there, and then just the broader literature on microtransaction use in gaming. You know, again, as we were talking about, it seems to be something that's here to stay. If a parent is unknowledgeable about how microtransactions work within the games their kids are playing, that obviously opens up the potential for maybe their child to bill a few too many things on the parent's credit card or, or what have you. So I think, you know, part of this, much like, you know, perhaps the new generation of parents are doing with uh, smartphones and social media is to have an awareness of what is in modern video games, how their child engages with these video games. And, you know, if spending money is possible within them to make sure that, you know, the proper parameters are set or, you know, they talk to their child about responsible use. So I think there is a role for the parent to educate themselves on these systems. Definitely. Yeah, certainly there has to be some onus and responsibility placed on the parent to to watch over what their kids are engaging in, just in the same way that you would in any other, you know, anything else yeah. you wouldn't want your kid doing, right? Yeah, and it's an omnibus approach, right? That would be one aspect. You want that education for to, to exist within families where video games are played. You probably also want some tools or regulations or methods to limit spending that the publishers provide within the game as well. Definitely. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Makes uh, good sense. Gabe, before we wrap up, um, are there any common myths or misconceptions related to, you know, loot boxes, video gaming, gambling that, uh, that you've noticed in your, since you've started this work on loot box, uh, loot boxes? Common myths? That's a good one. I'm not sure about that. I think... Um, it's so new. It's, yeah. it's such a new topic, right? You know, perhaps one way to look at this, if we talk about this in uh in in the sense of it being something that can be problematic right Mm -hmm. but for most people it is not problematic if you were to look at our data most people aren't spending a ton of money on these features so while as researchers we are concerned about the well-being of people and that makes us shift focus to you know these correlations these associations that are driven by the people who are spending the most 
not everyone is burning through their life savings playing video games. Some people certainly are, and that's why regulation needs to exist to protect vulnerable individuals. But a lot of people probably are using these responsibly or not engaging with it, with it at all. So maybe there's a myth of over-pathologizing some of the monetary systems that exist. Now, loot boxes might be a particular system that are designed in a way to increase the likelihood someone engages with them pathologically. They might be pre like predatory. They, 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 they might be predatory, be predatory in nature, right? For sure. Yeah, I think like that's what everything. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the world is just different predatory tactics to get people's money, right? And I think that you just have to acknowledge that that's yeah. the case. Exactly. Yeah, but... And do what you can, and have people do what they can. You know, in the cases where it does have a very strong resemblance to gambling, like those systems where you know CS:GO, you buy your box, you open it up, you get a rare item, or a lesser item and then you sell it on the marketplace should that style be allowed to remain you know i think that's still an open question but it certainly increases the risk because people might feel that they can get reimbursed for the money they're spending when in reality what they are getting back will probably be less than their purchase price right yeah yeah absolutely and i think i think an interesting point too is just one thing that we haven't really approached more or less is that you know you can bulk buy these things as well right it's not like you're purchasing one at a time you can mm -hmm. purchase hundreds at a time yeah uh, and that's where it's can be particularly like a, it's a problematic situation but it's also um you know it's easy to rack up those hundreds of dollars immediately just with one click yeah i mean go on youtube or twitch and search for a streamer who has bought a hundred or a thousand loot boxes to open them all at once to you know see what they'll get having yeah. people watch that I'm not sure it's going to discourage loot box use. And there are actually, you know, there's at least one recent study that has demonstrated similar to gambling. Uh, physiologically, I think it's through a galvanic uh, skin response and heart rate. You see a similar pattern that you do in gambling when people are opening loot boxes and that response is larger for rarer items. So you're kind of seeing that physiological res uh, response excitement in response to this system. And that might encourage people to then buy more, right? Feeling compelled, like one of our questions is to buy more loot boxes afterward. If you compare that to the, let's call it again, the direct purchase model, you buy one, you got it, you know what you got, you're done. You're probably not gonna immediately buy another because you didn't get what you want since you know what you got. Right, yeah, yeah you, you're very conscious of what you're purchasing versus you know just guessing and, and hoping. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, and if we go back to those two primary interpretations, one being maybe loot boxes are sensitizing people to engage in gambling behavior, or that vulnerable gamblers are predisposed to engage with these, um, you know, maybe I'll be the guest that returns a third time down the road, but <laughs> we're about to launch a study that hopefully will shed some light onto that. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, well, I'll look forward to uh, I'll look forward to reading that one. It when it's done, maybe you'll give us the heads up and we'll get you back for that coveted <laughs> triple crowned episode. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Um, great. With that, we'll wrap up another fantastic episode of Brain Buzz. Uh, you can follow Brain Buzz on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to our newsletter at brainbuzzpod.com. And as well, you can join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Brain Buzz Pod. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.